Christina Mosaides Strassfield is the museum director and chief curator of the Guildhall Museum in East Hampton, New York. She oversees the artistic leadership and overall management of the museum and its exhibition schedule, curating or overseeing as program manager. The mission of the museum is to showcase artists who have an affiliation with Eastern Suffolk County. The Hamptons is the summer home of most of the New York art world. This has allowed Strassfield to forge close relationships with leading artists, dealers, and collectors. She has been instrumental in coordinating biannual group invitationals. At Guildhall, she is in charge of curating the collection of over 2,000 objects, works of art by artists associated with the Eastern Long Island, as well as organizing the traveling exhibition of works from the collection, managing education programs, design, conservation, and other exhibition-related work. Christina Mosaides-Strassfield, welcome to the Creative Process. Thank you. So you're the, the chief curator of the Guildhall Museum. Tell us a bit more about the, the space and its many um, multidisciplinary uh, initiatives. Yes, we're a museum, theater, and education space that was founded in 1931, so we're approaching our 90th anniversary, and we are here for the community year-round, um, both in exhibitions, theater performances, and educational components. So we're reaching out to the community that's here throughout the year, which varies, of course. Um, so we are delighted to have been part of the community uh, from its early inception, um, and to continue to work with all the artists of the community year-round. Um, as we go forward uh, for the museum, the mission is that we exhibit and collect artists who live within the area. And we're very lucky because, of course, we have some of the finest artists um, internationally known and, and under-recognized artists as well living in the community. And we were just talking about the most recent exhibition, maybe we discussed that water memory and forthcoming things that you're excited to, to bring to the museum. Yes, we were so excited. Um, we had opened um, Waterman, Tony Ursler's Water Memory, and we opened that on June 8th, um, and it was a wonderful exhibition that just came down today, um, so we're very sorry to see it leave. Uh, but it was really a very uh, visually exciting exhibition because um, Tony Ursler had been working on a process where he was projecting onto mist, mm -hmm. and this is something that he had been working on for 18 years um, and was able to master the way he wanted to present it. So we were thrilled to have that, as well as um, he had the whole museum to himself. Um, he also had some wonderful, what he calls his Rorschach paintings, uh, which were paintings that also had a, a video projection behind it. He also did projection onto three-dimensional um, egg forms, and he also created his new series, which are what he calls bots, which are sort of like robot creatures um, that have their eyes and their mouth are little video screens um, that are projected out into your space and speaking. Uh, so it really was a very engaging exhibition and the community uh, responded very positively. So we are very excited about it. And uh, we look forward to our Ugo Rondononi show, which opens in August 10th, uh, which will be paintings and sculpture and children's art, um, all based around the idea of the sun. It's called Sunny Days. Um, he was looking to do something that was sort of uplifting. And um, he has his sun paintings are his round op art paintings that he has created um, since the early 80s and he uh, has we will be assembling
Baker has gone across um, sort of the east end of both the North Fork and the South Fork and has worked with various children to create these wonderful um, drawings of the sun, and they are going to be included in that um, as a project that um, Ugo has done in many different countries. And some of the work from other children's art from other countries will be shown here along with the children's art from our local community. So it's really a really wonderful sort of um, multidisciplinary work as well that we are very excited to be able to present to the community. Oh, it's, it is so interesting. And it's, it, it, as you said, it's something he's exhibited elsewhere. And it is uh, fascinating how these these uh, images happen to our collective memory, whether it's children's responses, you know, the sun and the moon, and, you know, going to the other exhibition, water. So there's almost as well a sort of dialogue, because I remember I visited when uh, the the last exhibition was out the water memory and that was a more you know blue and introspective and then as you described and i've seen images of some of the the, the next exhibition it's the sun expansive and joyful so is it an intentional as you when you're when you're curating that they have a kind of conversation or uh, that's so interesting because i really was not thinking that this summer um because normally we think of them as separate exhibition slots mm -hmm. um but several people have all pointed that out to me and i said oh my goodness that's really interesting that i had had not really thought of it in that way but i think it does work very nicely um sometimes when we used to have uh, exhibitions where um, one artist was in one gallery and another artist was in another gallery sometimes i try to have some sort of correlation or thematic element running through um but when there are different time slots i really kind of leave it more open to, to working with the artists and what uh, their presentation, what they have in mind for their presentation. So in this case, it just happens to work that way beautifully. But it's interesting that some, some artists are open to that, like um, uh, with the, including the children's artwork or having that kind of exchange. Absolutely. We were very thrilled because this is something that he's done all over the world. He's mm -hmm. done it in Russia and Poland and Mexico. And um, so the idea that our work then will then travel to whatever next venue he's doing, wherever that can be, uh, our children's art will be exhibited there just as their children's art is going to be exhibited here with us. So there's something wonderfully joyful about that. And I think the idea that the sun and the idea of uh, the regeneration of the sun every day and the regeneration of the vines, all of those elements just as the regeneration of art in, in the form of these young children creating something that's going to be exhibited in a museum along with a major, you know, internationally known artist. Who knows, maybe one of these art children is going to become an internationally known artist, you know, during their lifetime. We would love that. We'd love to showcase their work eventually here at Guildhall. No, that's, and that's true. It's so important, the early years when uh, a young person or uh, whether they're artists or just they're beginning out on whatever their education or, or creative path is to have a little bit of that recognition. And I also know you have an excellent artist in residence program, um, which is brought in. I was I wasn't directly involved in it, but I did interviews with them, and I was kind of um, involved with Eric Fisher and April Gornick's kind of parallel project. I was actually just in communication yesterday with one of the the residents, and so it's it's interesting how then they spread what they the what they've uh, how they've been inspired. Um, yes, it's wonderful. We love the idea. I think that you know it really came about. Um, through uh, um, Robbie Bates, who was a good friend of Eric's, um, who actually, when he was winning an award, said, you know, we really need to have an artist residence program. And really, it's kind of wonderful because ours has flourished and Eric's in April has flourished. And I think that, you know, more and more residencies, the Water Middle Center is doing a residency um, 
art museum is doing something, even though it doesn't provide housing, um, they're using local artists and, and having them sort of work as residents uh, within their educational field. So it's it's a great opportunity to give an artist time to really think about a body of work and to create a body of work or to envision what that next body of work will be for them. And it's wonderful that we can be an incubator in that form. Yeah, and for the, for the space as well to be the, yes. the, the landscape and things like that. It's, it's also an interesting experiment, as you say, how, how it's interpreted by many different people. So now going back to you know, your collection, which I guess is, are you, is it currently, I mean, you have some amazing artists in it, but is it currently traveling or has it finished the traveling cycle? Or is there... No, it is currently traveling, um, and we are so excited. It was just in Colorado, mm-hmm. and um, it actually will be coming back, I believe, um, in October. Um, so we're kind of excited about that because we are also going to be showcasing um, our work um, here at Guild Hall. We have um, Joan Martyr, who is going to be a guest curator. Her specialty is abstract expressionist art, and she is going to be looking at works from our permanent collection and including several of the pieces that are in our traveling show um, to be exhibited here at Guild Hall, and it's called um, Abstract Expressionism Revisited. So um, to, to take another look at some of these wonderful artists who are so associated with our area. Um, and we love traveling our exhibition because we feel that it, it's given so many people an opportunity to understand what kind of an art community we are and have always been you know, since the early 19th century, which is really uh, wonderful that an art community has lasted that long and continues to flourish. Yeah, I was speaking with different people at Guildhall and like the real, you know, you know, there's many interesting museums, but I do think that there's less, I feel it's like there's less of a barrier. You know, when you visit some institutions, and maybe it's to do with the educational aspect or the performing arts or, or just the arrangement, how it feels almost, it's not like a house, but it, it just feels more familiar. When you go to some museums, there's this sense um, like it's sterile or the art isn't something that you feel a part of or that you can necessarily engage with. I, I, I don't know. Well, that's wonderful that you feel that way because Mm -hmm. we would love that. We love the idea that we are a welcoming institution. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not too large, so in Mm -hmm. one sense, you know, when people come, we can have that personal connection with them, and um, we can, you know, greet people. We had a wonderful panel Mm -hmm. uh, this weekend, and it was great. Um, It was was Eric's panel and Artist Ecosystems, Mm -hmm. which was fantastic, and in collaboration with their project, The Church. Mm -hmm. But what was wonderful about it is that, you know, we we hosted a little reception in the garden, and it was great to have everyone, not everyone, but a large portion of the audience come out and, you know, meet and mingle and talk and discuss, you know, further in depth what was happening on the stage in the panel discussion. So we can do that because of our size and our scope. And so that's something that we feel is one of our strengths, not one of our weaknesses being small. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes people are like, oh, well, you're a small museum. I was like, well, we're a small museum, but we do big things. (laughs) And we're excited about that. Also, it's nice that, you know, when sometimes it, in these uh, blockbuster shows or something, it's fascinating, but you notice a lot of people, the way they engage with them, they kind of, like, there's too many things to look at, they race through, they don't have this sense of, oh, this is where this artwork was created, you have this real sense, and we should mention some of the artists, that your local artists from past and present, maybe, um, is, this is an upcoming exhibition of um, this returning Jackson Pollock, William de Koenig, Roy Lichtenstein, some of your local artists, you know, <laughs> of the past. But maybe, yeah, if you want to talk about them. But yeah, then there's this sense that it feels the, 
if the work doesn't feel remote, then you can know, oh, well, you know, you can actually visit, um, you can actually visit, you know, where Jackson Pollock lived absolutely yeah. i think that what you said is very true though because i think sometimes when you go to some of these blockbuster shows i mean it's gallery after gallery which sometimes i, I feel like sometimes i don't feel like the curators haven't um formally edited down because i think mm -hmm. you don't have to see every specific you know work from an artist you know certain period i think you have to edit down and show them the best work from that mm -hmm. period or something that um makes difference and there's a reason why you're showing it so i do like the fact that you know um when we're doing a show, um, it is because of our space limitations. Um, it is more of an edited show, so we really think very carefully what we're going to pick and what we're going to select to show and how we're going to exhibit it, and I think that's very strong. I think having the opportunity to be in the area uh, that inspired these artists is so important. Uh, for instance, um, the artist Jane Wilson, who's a landscape artist, I didn't know her work before I came out here. Um, when I came out here and I saw these magnificent sunsets that she did, and I thought, well, you know, those aren't real colors, but having lived out here, I see that those colors are the colors of our sunsets, and it's, it's you know, it's magical, and I can never not look at the sunset and think, oh, that's a Jane Wilson sunset, <laughs> you know, because of the pinks and the purples and all those colors that we don't normally associate, or people outside of this area don't associate with a, uh, a landscape. Um, so I think our landscape tradition, our abstract expressionists, and I think just our support of the arts in general out here, uh, whether it be the Paul and Krasner House or the Robert Wilson Center or what's going to be happening with the church uh, in Sag Harbor and the, the cinema, so many wonderful endeavors that are all working side by side with one another is, is truly wonderful. Yeah, it's nice. And they're all, and they're people serving on the same boards and there's a great sense of community, I found. And community and collaboration, I think that's a big, big thing for us and, and we're excited about that. Yeah. And um, what's also nice is if uh, people who, have, for, who haven't visited yet, um, the, the organization of your building, I think it leads to these kind of conversations because right in the center you have a theater. And so um, that le you know, leads it back to this public space where people can discuss or you can have talks like you said, art, artist ecosystem. And some of the other, I you know you have like uh, during the summer you have quite a, quite a few of these kind of t talks. Yeah. And what are some of those that you've, you're, you're looking forward to or that you've enjoyed already? Uh, well, I, you know, this weekend was such an exciting opportunity because I think that the um, panel that um, Eric put together with Glenn Furman and Dorothy Lichtenstein and um, Rob Lo, uh, Rick Lowe was just really wonderful. And what was great about it is that, um, as I said to you, people came outside and were talking about it, you know, in the garden afterwards. I was at an event the next day. People were still talking about it. So I felt like, wow, isn't that wonderful? What a timely topic um, that's, that really engaged people to talk about it, you know, days afterwards. Um, so I think that that's the kind of programming that I think is wonderful, like very inspiring. Um, so uh, something very worthwhile. And in, in terms of your background, you, so you, you didn't grow up in the area, or did you? I didn't, no. I mm -hmm. came out here in 1987. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up in the Bronx, mm -hmm. and um, I came out here in 1987 and got a job here as the associate curator and registrar mm -hmm. and worked my way up to becoming um, uh, you know, uh, the museum director and chief curator. I had taken six years off to raise my twins, and luckily I was called back, and um, the timing worked out beautifully, and I'm very happy to be here. Mm -hmm. And you also, 
you do teach as well. Um, yes, I do. I was teaching at Dowling, and now I'm teaching at Suffolk Community College. And um, at Dowling, I was able to uh, uh, put together a program where we had a minor in museum studies, and I felt very proud of that, um, being able to sort of um, share the knowledge that I have about um, being a museum director and what it takes to be a museum director and a curator and how um, how you can make a career and a profession out of your love for art. Um, for me, that was very exciting to do that, and I hope to um, see that through also at Suffolk Community College, where I am now. So what are, what are some of the things that you communicate to students? And I guess when you were beginning in your path as a curator, what artworks were important to you or what, like, mentorships, you know, as you formed your thinking about, you know, this is what I'm going to spend my life doing? Right. Oh, well, you know, it's funny because I was very much influenced when I was very, very little. I had a, a friend of my mother's was a teacher, and she had a daughter who was about a year older than I was, and she would always take her daughter and me to museums, and I just loved um, going to the museum with her because she would tell us all stories about the artists and the period of art. So from being very, very young, I said, I want to work in a museum. And I remember taking art courses at the Metropolitan Museum of Art when I was in, uh, in high school and um, loved doing that. I then got an internship between college and graduate school because um, I knew I had studied art history and anthropology as an undergraduate and was going on for my master's in art history. And I uh, had done that internship, did an internship at the Art Commission at City Hall, did an internship at the Brooklyn Museum. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of experience and understanding what the museum world was like, and I really loved it. And I said, this is, this is what I want to do with my life. And, um, you know, had great professors at, at Queens College, Ellen Davis, um, Barbara Lane. Um, there were so many wonderful people who went on to, you know, work in other galleries later and, and do, do lots of things. Robert Pincus Witten, wonderful art critic. Um, so there were a lot of people along the way who um, really influenced me. But I would say the greatest influence is that I loved going, even as a child, loved being in the museum. And I, I would have to say it was the Metropolitan Museum of Art that really um, was my passion. I just loved it. I was delighted to be able to have worked there for five years um, and, um, you know, gained some knowledge and then was able to move on and become a curator and, um, and now museum director and showcase so many wonderful artists and work with so many different artists and share their vision and understanding of what they, what they want to experience when they uh, present their work in a museum. To me, um, it's a great challenge and it's a great reward to be able to do that. Right. And so it's, you know, we're, you know, we're living in this digital age which has positive things about it, there's negative things about it, but one, one thing that people remark is that that we might be, it might be disconnecting us to a, a certain degree, or that we're experiencing things in a, a flat or non-tangible, less tangible way than what you get in the museum experience. And uh, so I think that that it makes going to museums and seeing the, the tangible artifact or work of art even more compelling. You know, it, oh, yeah. absolutely. I would totally agree with you. Um, when I teach art history, a lot of students are taking the course um, who haven't been to a museum. And um, to, to hear them, and I always make them go um, to, the, to the local museums here on Long Island. I also make them do an assignment where they have to go into, into the New York and visit either the MoMA or the Metropolitan or the Guggenheim. They have to visit a large museum in the city. And for me, it's wonderful because they come back and they are so energized because, you know, one comment was when they had gone to MoMA and they saw Starry Night and they thought, oh, they thought that the painting was 
much larger because when we've projected mm -hmm. it on the screen in the classroom, it looks much larger than the actual piece. And understanding the texture of the piece, um, you know, you could show that in the slide and you could show a close-up, you know, in your PowerPoint, but you don't get that same feeling as if you're standing actually in front of that piece. And um, one great story I had was um, there was a young man. He was very, very interested, and you know, he would come. He would stay after class, and he would talk to me about you know what we had just discussed. And he, after his assignment, after going to the museum, he came and said, you know, I was standing in front of this piece that we had discussed in class, and some people were saying they couldn't understand it. And so he gave them an explanation about what the painting was, and he just felt so proud that he could explain to them uh, that he had learned about this painting, and um, he was now sharing his knowledge about art uh, with these complete strangers and informing them, and hopefully they would inform someone else, you know, so it's a wonderful chain of learning and enjoying art, and what I always tell them is, um, you know, you're going to forget the dates of a painting, you may forget what the artist's name is, but I want you to be able to go into a museum or a gallery uh, and look at a piece of real art and really just be able to express your feelings about it um, and be able to have a dialogue with it and understand, you know, a little bit about, you know, the technique that the artist may have used or, you know, have the idea to even question why an artist used a certain technique and decided to do things in a different way. And um, for me, I, I think that's so rewarding. It is interesting the extent to, to which art can, you know, be inspiring for its aesthetic values but also as a vehicle for teaching or teaching about cultural, you know, periods in the past or how, you mean, I mean, a lot of the artists in your collection, they might not seem initially to be, I mean, they're united by region, but they, they might, you might see, they might seem different from artist to artist, but sometimes, you know, then when you go back further in history, you can really see how, you know, groups of people influence each other. What does that tell you about that period of time? Absolutely, and I think that's the, that's the, the beauty of art history, um, because you are learning about individual artists, and you're learning about art forms, but you're learning about the history behind that period, and, and then making uh, connections as to, you know, how, you know, just for instance, the abstract expressionists, they came out here. Uh, they came out here because it was inexpensive to live at that time. Um, they became friends. They, uh, they helped one another find galleries. They helped one another find places to exhibit their work. Um, they participated in group shows at Guild Hall or Ashwall Hall. Um, these are wonderful elements and, uh, and facts that, you know, you learn about once you uh, are, become familiar with certain artists and becoming certain, familiar with the period of art or the place, the time and place. And, and all of that does really make a difference. And it's very, very exciting to um, put those connections together and say, oh, well, that artist may have been influenced by this artist because, you know, they may have seen their work. And, you know, I love when you read about that where an artist says, you know, I went to this exhibition and I saw Picasso's work and, and, and because of that I did this and, you know, I did that or I was influenced to do something else. Um, I, I always think that's you know, really kind of exciting to learn those facts and to be able to share them and to um, uh, just think about all of those connections or interconnections. Yeah, you can almost, you know, see their thinking process and their biography. Bi Sometimes it does seem biographical, even though they say <laughs> it isn't. It's, you, there's this vulnerability, really. As you, um, you know, admire the, the different art forms, do, do, you, do you practice a kind of art? or? When I was still a, in high school, 
school and beginning of college, I did a lot of ceramic work, mm -hmm. um, so I loved working in clay. Doing more, I would say, uh, functional work, not necessarily um, artistic, but I loved sort of the working with my hands. I thought that was a wonderful experience. But at a point when I really started, um, when I took my art history courses, I really just, you know, felt madly in love with all different periods of art and, uh, you know, sort of let that go to the side and just um, really focused on art history um, just because I wanted to learn more and more about all the different periods. I love, you know, ancient Egyptian art. I love Islamic carpets. I love so many different areas um, and I just wanted to learn as much as I could so I ended up not doing, not creating, but learning. <laughs> well, it's still there. That's the wonderful thing about the arts. It's still there and it's, um, you know, welcomes you back whenever you... you yes, it, yes, you and know. I'm sure at some point when I'm a little less busy. <laughs> I would love. I would love to. I love when we have our annual member show, and so many artists are people are creating, and they're just allowing their creative juices to flow. Mm -hmm. And I'm always inspired, and I always think, oh, if I had time, I would do that. If I had time, I would, you know, I would pick that camera up, or if I had time, I would, I would, you know, I'd go back to the kiln uh, and try to do something. Um, and someday I will. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's interesting too. When you talk about, you call it functional art, but now. Um, design and, and crafts have, are really, they're being honored more. Like it was, like absolutely, absolutely. I love that. You know, again, I think that craft and the process of craft is just as equally as important as the process of creating what we used to term fine art. You know, there was that designation early on, and I'm so glad that that's no longer the case. And people are really understanding that, you know, functional and design is such an important element. It's something that we live with on a day to basis, you know, day to day basis, from, you know, your stapler to the chair that you're sitting in to the, you know, the couch that you're, you know, sitting on and mm -hmm. all of that. It's just so wonderful to be able to um, really look at it and to, to think about it in, 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 in a different uh, perspective. And yes, I like I like that, and I think that it's it's coming into its own. It's already been a number of years now, but because when when the crafts and design come into their own, it's also honoring you know women artists, which is a thing. That, oh, so know. true, absolutely true. That is so important. You know, when you think about that, um, there was a, a, a one woman who was a friend of my mother's, um, who was much older than my mother, but she used to make potholders, something that we don't hardly even second joy out of things that are art well I know that they have given essays about it Oscar Wilde famously saying that you know art is something that art is useless or something but so it's so it's nice when art is art but it's also useful um, yeah. I want to talk about some of the other events that you have in in Guildhall like you have the Hamptons Institute which is yeah from, you know, 
discuss things like this. It is important, um, and what I love about, again, our venue is that, you know, there is always the Q&A afterwards, and that Q&A is very important because I think that, you know, you can go to a lecture or you can watch something on TV or a discussion on TV, but, you know, to be able to formally interact with the people who are on stage, who are presenting, who are, you know, I mean, they've had major people such as George Soros and all sorts of people, um, you know, uh, speak on our stage, and that dialogue, I think, is an extremely important um, part of what we do here at Guildhall. It, it wasn't part of our initial, um, you know, we're a museum theater and education center, and it wasn't what they normally did early on in terms of education, um, but it's something that uh, we're very proud um, has become part of our tradition. So it's something that it is, brings a great deal to the community. You know, it's something that we hope to continue doing for a long time going forward. Well, I think it is really important because with the engagement, I think I feel you know you're talking about education, but I feel that uh, if we don't engage with something, it very soon passes uh, you know out of our, our long term memory. You know, it's just something that passes through us, but we don't know. But when you're able to really ask those questions of what's most important to you, and that's you know you see that with students, or when if you're in, involving them in the creative process or making art in some way. Um, then it's something that they, they can own, not just observe and be entertained by. My name is Ali Chow and I'm a graduate of UCLA. It is wonderful listening to this interview with Christina, as I realize I share so many common interests with her, having also studied art history myself. From an art historian's perspective, I really see where she is coming from, and I admire the work that she has done not only at the Guild Hall, but also outside, such as working at the Met for five years and teaching museum studies and more. It is also fascinating hearing about how the Guild Hall offers a little bit of everything and is not just restricted to the fine arts. They also encompass art and theater for all ages, and I loved how Christina described this interaction between the stage and the behind-the-scenes arts as a tangible connection. I have also been interested in pursuing the line of curation, so it is very cool to hear about the numerous duties of a curator from Christina. A topic that is very interesting as well is the change of curating and museums where there is an evident growth of art fairs and a shift in the relationship between museums and galleries, which I definitely have experienced having worked at a gallery and auction houses myself before. Additionally, I find it somewhat ironic that now the traditional landscape is more unconventional amongst all the conceptual work being produced. That is definitely what seems to be the contemporary hype for what art is all about now. Nonetheless, it is nice to see that there is an apparent strive for diversity nowadays, as Christina mentions. All art institutes are trying their best to get people of color, different races, different genders everywhere, whether that is in staff or in representing artists and more. So I also definitely agree that art is now used as a medium to send a political message, and as long as the overall beauty and aesthetics of art itself are not forgotten or overlooked, I think this is a fantastic and invaluable movement in the art industry. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Christina Mosiades-Strassfield, 
Museum Director and Chief Curator of Guildhall Museum in East Hampton. And so in doing this, of course, you have your, um, the, 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 the gala, that's, a, that's an autumn, and that's, yeah. <laughs> what was that? I, I haven't attended. I've, I've heard about uh, the, the gala is always associated with our summer exhibition, our mm -hmm. August exhibition. Mm -hmm. So um, last year it was with our Ellsworth Kelly show, and this year it is with our Goran Denardi show. And it's just a wonderful thing because there's, there's a preview here at the museum. Um, it gives you a chance again to meet the artists in person. Um, and then um, after the preview, we go over this year, we're going over to Mulford Farm, which is right next door, which is wonderful. So people will be able to walk over there and they'll be able to, um, you know, get mingle and talk. And um, then there'll be an award ceremony. They're actually honoring Michael Lynn, who had passed away, who was our longtime head of our museum advisory committee. He had been head of the museum advisory committee for 25 years. He was an amazing uh, person. He was a top 200 collector. He'd been listed on that list for many, many years. He was um, part of New Line Cinema, and um, and he, which made the uh, Lord of the Ring trilogy movies. Um, he was also a wine uh, maker, uh, very much involved with the vineyards on Long, on the North Fork of Long Island, the Dell Vineyards and Cory Creek. He was the owner of that. Um, so he really elevated that whole idea of you know uh, connoisseurship in wine and creating that sort of really helping to launch that field of uh, expertise. Um, so he was an amazing person. So he's going to be honored at the gala, which I think is wonderful. And Ugo Rondinoni, of course, will be honored. And um, it's, it's been a great time because, again, it's a chance for people to uh, mingle together. Uh, there's dancing. There's, you know, music. Um, so it's a great deal of entertainment and lots of fun. Lots, lots of fun for people to participate in. And it's one of our chief fundraisers, which helps us raise uh, money to help us be able to put on all of these wonderful programs that we put on throughout the year. Yeah, you have like musical events, of course, some theater events. Musical film, we do the live from the Metropolitan Opera, which is wonderful. Um, so people who you know can't get into the city to go to the Metropolitan Opera can watch it from their from their seats here at Guild Hall, and um, it's a wonderful experience. Uh, they also do these little um, um, sort of like uh, talks beforehand to explain what the opera is all about, which is wonderful. They just had a wonderful screening of Julian Schnabel's film Eternity's Gate, and Julian Schnabel talked about the film, um, which was the film about the life of Vincent Van Gogh, which was, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's an amazing film. I think I think he's a wonderful artist, but I think he's an amazing filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So again, having the filmmaker discuss their work, the Hampton International Film Festival screens all sorts of movies, and they're often do Q&A with... Um, Alec Baldwin, who is who's on their board and on our board as well, um, that's an exciting opportunity um, for us as well. Um, Quest Love is going to be here. Last year, he spoke with Jerry Seinfeld and he spoke with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and this year he's coming back again. Um, I'm not quite sure who he's going to be interviewing this time, but I'm sure it's going to be someone who's going to also be very exciting and challenging and, and have something important to say. Um, we have the Paula Krasner Annual Lecture, and this year, Ann Tenkin, who is a chief curator at the Museum of Modern Art, uh, is going to be speaking, and I've heard her speak before, and she is truly amazing, because she's a curator who has been around, and um, I heard her talk about you know, the difference between a being a curator early on, and, and sort of how curation has changed a little bit, and how other elements have come into it. That was fascinating. Um, there's 
live theater. Um, they just did a production of something called Stand the Man, which had Alec Baldwin in it again, which was really wonderful. They have Stirring the Pot, which is a series with Florence Fabricant, who writes for the New York Times Food section, where she interviews different um, people involved, whether it's chefs like Tom Coluccio or Kathy Lee. Um, also, ten, she's in, uh, interviewing Tim and Nina Zagat, who do the Zagat um, oh. uh, book, which rates restaurants and you know all over which is amazing everyone looks at that they just had this weekend and i missed it uh, but it was called it was called battle of the duop bands which was uh, bands from new jersey and new york uh, sort of competing against one another uh, philip glass is going to be here the chronos quartet was here so you know we really have a wide-ranging uh, group of programs both in the museum and the theater and that's very exciting for us because I think you know we're reaching out to a very wide and diverse community and we're trying to offer a little bit of everything so that someone you know people will be interested and um, you know I always say you know there's always going to be something that that guilt hall that you're going to want to see or attend because our programming is so diverse that you'll find something whether it's a kid fest program we do these wonderful programs in the theater for young children um, and there's usually an art workshop that goes along with it before they go into the theater so they can create some sort of art whether it's if they're doing puppets on stage they're going to create puppets in this theater um, in the art workshop so they're going to be understand the tangible connection between what's being on the stage and what's being created in the studio um, and I think that's a, that's an important component as well. It's a be- beautiful inside out uh, quality. Y- yes, I did. I actually have a project with. I know K- Kate Muth of the New York Political Cowgirl, so. Um, yes. So she, I know she's done l- workshops there too. Um, yes, wonderful. So you mentioned there about the changing role or how uh, the museums have changed over the years. And yes. in your experience, since you began this kind of evolution of what ex- museums are expected to be in, in the community. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, years ago, you know, we were just, you know, focusing on sort of, you know, the art, uh, you know, the art is a single component. I think as a curator, you have to think about fundraising and and raising funds to create, uh, to help pay for part of the exhibition. That was originally when I first was part of Curator. That was not part of our purview. That was just the development department's purview. So there was a different change over, and I think that that Ann Temkin did talk about that. There's also the reality that we understand that we have to reach out to a wider community, be it um, women, uh, people of color, um, you know, try to get diversity in our programming. And with us, it, it's it, it sometimes can be a little bit more difficult because we have to show artists who live within the area, so it has to they have to have that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but to try to reach a little further afield, so that we're finding other artists, uh, perhaps who don't fit into the regular mold of you know that. So uh, you know, Anne, t- Anne talked about that as well. Um, how the art world has really broadened. I mean, it's no longer. I mean, now there's art fairs. I mean, that was something that you know we didn't have to deal with. You know, now they you know you're you're supposed to go to Basel, you're supposed to go to Miami, you're supposed to go to all these different art fairs as well as trying to keep abreast of things. So that changed. I think the relationship between museums and galleries has also, you know, years ago, um, you know, you didn't approach a gallery about helping or assisting or, or working with them in collaboration when you were going to show an art. Now it's de rigueur. Everybody does that. Um, so all of those elements, even though they're subtle, they are changes within the art world. Um, and I think that trying to get diversity in terms of the staff at the institutions, trying to get diversity on our boards, uh, trying to make ourselves more 
seems very interesting this question of like the social the social responsibilities I guess on the, on the artist level with the social responsibility or the education responsibility of, of museums and it seems to me you know one of uh, we were talking about a bit before you know in this digital age of, you know there's automation and these things where people's maybe people are less valued you know as we become more like our machines and so I do try to think about what can the arts do how can you know we provide roles for people through tangible experiences we might be lacking as manufacturing sent overseas I don't mean to get heavy about it but I think about what we can learn from the arts in that way or how that can help definitely something because you know this this project the creative process is an educational initiative and sometimes students come to us and they are specializing in different fields but sometimes um, arts education isn't something that they felt they they couldn't pursue it they might be you know they might have a strong arts program in their school or university but they didn't feel they had a chance to explore it so they come to us for exploring things that they had neglected but it definitely is a way to like mobilize people or to get people to feel or think um that's that's what i find but i don't know if that's seen as pretentious but i i don't i don't think it is i think that's it's something true i think that you know i mean i look you know early on one knew i wanted to work in a museum and what came to mind was you know either you know i just started out doing a lot of museum education um and then wanted to go into the curator over but there's so many different um positions that you could do as an arts advocate, as an art attorney, as, you know, there is so many different things, so I think that what you're doing is definitely offering a service to so many people and explore, let, letting them explore various forms of creativity and how you can use that creativity uh, to um, enhance the world. Art does influence the world you know, on many different levels, on a daily level, um, but on, on a more global level. Another thing that I, was interesting to me, because you were talking about wanting to work or you know you're working in museums but you, you're having the contact with art and something I didn't know because as you said there's so many of these roles in the art world so I did an interview with the director of the Front International d'Art Contemporain in FIAC and so she had been at some stage on an academic path and I didn't realize that when you're on the academic path she would say she didn't have contact with the actual artworks 
And I thought, oh, how strange. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't realize this. I thought, oh, well, of course, well, you're, you're in France. You would have this, this, you would have contact with it, but it would be a lot of on slides. So I guess being a museum uh, director and curator, you have this. You, you, you have it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think um, I, I probably, you know, as an academic, because you are working with just, you know, a lot of images that you're showing, mm -hmm. but I, of course, would have made every effort to see the original art yeah. that, you know, I was talking about, so that's kind of interesting. But again, working with artists and working with, uh, where, like, on my level, where you're working with artists in the community, and I've gotten mm -hmm. to work with so many wonderful artists and, and you know, got to visit studios and got mm -hmm. to talk to them about process and, and you know, seeing a painting that they're working on, you know, from the sketch to you know the final product is it, quite an interesting process because again you know so many people don't get that um, you know they'll they'll only get to see you know a uh, finished product and they you know won't have that experience and that experience I think is it really you learn so much about it you learn so much about the artists and how they're working and, and what that um, what their real significance is of the project to them and that's that's quite interesting. Well, I should say that they're also, you might be learning from them or watching, um, observing the evolution of something, but they're also learning from you. I think so, because, again, when I go into a studio, I'm always asking questions. I'm always, you know, what about this? And what about this? What do you think about this? You know, I, and because I feel like that's what I'm there for. I'm there to have a dialogue with them. So I would think that the dialogue does help them, uh, perhaps to think about things in a bit of a different way um, or to, you know, to have a different perspective. So I think that is an important aspect. And so some of the um, the artists who've known them um, since you've, you'd have seen some kind of arc in their their career or their, their works. Who who is it exciting to to have seen their work, you know, evolve and go in different directions? Well, it's kind of interesting because, of course, when I first became curator, one of the first shows I did was a Chuck Close uh, show mm -hmm. and an Eric Fischel show. It was actually Chuck had one gallery and Eric had the other gallery. So. Um, they were each doing very different works at the time. Um, we showed the large-scale Polaroids of Chuck Close, um, and subsequent to that, you know, I've shown his work, you know, many times, and we did another show where we showed his tapestry. So there was a huge process that went along, which I thought was really um, quite wonderful, um, you know, showing, you know, a complete change. Um, when I first met Chuck Close, it was shortly after he had had um, the spinal collapse, you know, so he was at one stage in his life, Except for those or very early abstracts, you know immediately when you see one of absolutely, absolutely. So it is interesting how a signature remains with the artist, no matter how you know their palettes change. But speaking of art fairs, of course, you did this that art fair series.
because yeah. it is, you know, just so many different things. Like, well, um, I was just talking to him about he had talked about going to India where he was on, um, he was an artist in residence, but mm. the work, uh, you know, that he was supposed to be doing in India was not what he ended up, you know, doing because it really wasn't his medium. I can't remember that he was describing it. But I said, well, you came back and you did some amazing paintings of India. And he's like, well, yeah, I did. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you, knowing the artist and, and his Spanish series and just so many things, I think he really, um, uh, I think he's an amazing artist, but I think that, you know, you see that evolution, you know, from mm -hmm. the early paintings to, you know, what, what he became famous, really super famous for, and what he's doing, and he's changed because the world has changed, time has changed, and he's changed, you know, mm -hmm. so all of those things put together, um, he can't be doing the same thing over and over again, he has to grow, and he has to, you know, he has to evolve, and I think that's an important aspect to see an artist evolve and, and uh, mature and um, really find their own voice. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of his work, which had the works that he got, became known for were kind of a, a taboo, sometimes the most, the paintings that he was very famous for. And it's interesting, the question to which, to, I mean, I, I don't know how many taboos we have left, it seems like. <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> He still seems to do things that are kind of like tr troubling, but so well, I yes. guess accomplishment in this day and age where we have a think president who let's not even talk about it. But <laughs> right. <laughs> but just, I mean, when you think about the whole idea of the art fair, he's poo-pooing the mouth that feeds him, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. And you know that takes a lot of guts to do something like that. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think that really takes a lot of guts. So um, and and you know he's joking about it. You know how people just want to be seen. So he's making such an important statement about where we are today within the art world, which, you know, I give him a lot of credit for, because <laughs> he's part of it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And, and, and speaking of another kind of courage, which which may be, you know, like whispered, it's, it's very subtle, but I, I feel that uh, April Gornick, his, his wife's work is, as well, so it takes courage also just to say, I'm going to make landscapes. I'm going to be a quiet voice. They're very powerful, right? But it's a kind of thing, I'm not going to splash out with, uh, you know, a necessarily a big statement, but it is a big statement about nature, communities, and uh -huh. things like that. So it's Absolutely. She has a wonderful story, but she says where, you know, she was in art school, and, and um, you know, she was creating, or maybe post-art school, where she wanted to create something, and, and what was coming out was a landscape, and she was, like, horrified, because, you know, landscape was so traditional, mm -hmm. but then she ended up going with her, you know, what her, what was coming out of her, and I mm -hmm. thought, wow, that, you know, think about that. That took a lot of guts to do that at that time when everyone was doing conceptual or something else. And here she was doing like a traditional landscape, just as Chuck Close, you know, went against the, the, the tide and did portraits, you know. It's a definitely an interesting, that takes a lot of courage as well. A very different, a different perspective, not a different level, but a different perspective. And I'm just looking at some of the other um, artists you have. I mean, so speaking about the theme of courage, um, Cindy Sherman, when I think when she first did started with her self-portraits. Um, oh, yes. Do you remember when she came out on the scene? Or, I mean, you see... Uh, yes, I mean, she did all of the photographs that were the movie stills, which mm -hmm. were amazing. Besides the movie stills, I think that so much of her work, you know, um, when, we did, when I did a show of her work, I was very excited. It was before she had her MoMA, you know, retrospective. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of wonderful because all the different, you know, tried to do, you know, show a variety of things that she had done, and every piece 
that I had selected for my show was in that moment, (laughs) (laughs) which was kind of wonderful because, again, uh, you know, uh, what an interesting concept, the way she does things and how, you know, the earlier ones were black and white and they were small and then, of course, they became larger and and they became really large (laughs) and, 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 you know, took, you know, take over a whole different feeling to them, Um, but really in your face, um, you know, uh, from the images of, you know, ladies of society to, you know, the teenagers at the mall, you know, there's, there's just really, she captures so much. Um, she's such a chameleon, I think, that uh, the work really, I like it because I feel like it, it's constantly changing and evolving, mm-hmm. and there's certain other artists, and I don't mean to sound negative, but sometimes the work is the same, I feel like it's a little bit too repetitive mm-hmm. um, uh, with, with the dialogue that's being discussed, and, and the dialogue can be a very serious dialogue, but at the same time, it, it's just so repetitive, and they're not, there isn't, a, it seems to me that there's not a lot of growth, that they hit something and they just continue to, to, to work on that over and over again, and I, and I find that, you know, you know, because you do have to evolve, you have to evolve mm-hmm. with the time, and even if it is your signature style, I think that there is growth, or there should be growth. Yeah, an unfortunate mirror of the market as well, that sometimes, you know, because I, I have done some interviews with artists, and I know they have, like, other work that they don't show, and sometimes they're showing this thing of what's expected, and I thought the early work, or this these things that they consider not seeming enough, you know, seeming distinctive enough, or whatever, was actually the most interesting, but there's this pressure, I think, to follow keep on I don't know I'm I'm not fortunate enough to be an artist in this category where I have where everything I do is watched so I still have the freedom of experimenting but you know this, this is an important thing that we should never forget is to experiment like no, it is. it's very important yeah and, and then speaking of other you know brave artists you have um in your collection Barbara Kruger Oh, gosh, my love. I love Barbara Kruger. Um, I had wanted to work with her when I first became curator. I had approached her, and she was kind of busy. She had other projects lined up. Um, and then, you know, I had we had other things lined up. And I think 10 years into our, my uh, situation here, I said, well, Barbara, are we going to do this or are we not? And she's like, no, we're going to do it. And so luckily within the next couple of years after that, we were able to initiate the project where she did a site-specific um, installation here at Guildhall, you know, on the ceilings and the walls. And it was just magnificent. Um, and um, I just think that she, uh, you know, her work, it, again, is extraordinary, something so different and so unique, and, again, constantly evolving from what she says in all of her works, um, and definitely making statements um, constantly um, in your face, and I thought, get more power to her. <laughs> yeah, because that's how we experience the world, and it takes a lot of foresight, because when she was starting off doing that, it wasn't as though a lot of people were working. People no. Working language as a medium. I mean, that's who right. writers. And there's something, uh, it's funny because I do have an affinity, I, I, I think myself, for figurative, I do have an affinity for um, uh, paintings that do have words in them and artwork that has language in it. Um, there's something about it, and I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I've always loved ancient hieroglyphics in the painting, in the Egyptian art or whatever, but from an early, you know, I just, I do, I relate to a lot of those pieces, um, so I do li- I really respond to them. It's a very contemporary experience. I mean, even as we see images or we read the news, it's, oh, there's this more and more blending of, of image and words. It's nice to also think about them on that level, on that scale. Uh, when they're not like lost in a, in a small page or screen. 
it's strange. I couldn't think about doing work like that that was so bold. So, so, so these are some of the, the artists who you enjoyed. Were there any particular exhibitions that you were looking forward to, to doing? Where, uh, okay. Well, I think that, you know, I've enjoyed working. I must admit that I, I pretty much there's just been a handful of artists that I didn't enjoy working <laughs> with. But in general, most of the artists I feel like um, I really have enjoyed. I've really learned from the process. Um, there are a number of artists that I would like to work with um, that I, you know, still have not done some things with, but hopefully I will get to them as well. As well. I think over the years, I think it's been an honor to do work with, you know, um, I did two shows on Roy Lucky one with Eve's Alive, one with the Foundation. I really admired, I love pop art. You know, meeting him was really very special. I think having worked with Audrey Flack was very exciting, working with Miriam Shapiro, two artists, female artists that I really respected, again, uh, for what they did. Um, Audrey Flack being one of the first artists, female artists to be in um, Jansen's history of art. That's very important. Um, Miriam Shapiro sort of led the feminist art movement, and what she was doing was really kind of exciting. Um, I did a wonderful Larry River show that I think really got a a lot of attention for Larry. You know, his work sort of was, had fallen a little out of favor, and I think it got him some recognition, which I was very proud to be, have people revisit his work. So I think that over the years, I've had a great opportunity work, to work with some, you know, truly amazing artists, important artists, and artists who were important in art history. In this intimate way, where it's a, it's a community, it's not lost in, in the big city. There's a real sense. Now, I, I think that what, what you're doing at Guildhall through the museum and the other performances and initiatives and the educational program is really lovely. And um, I, I want to um, just just in closing to discuss what have the arts given you, you know, on a personal level, and as you, we look to the future, um, you know. Society is changing so quickly. What, what do you think of the importance of the arts? Well, part I, I would say from an early point was you know has become my life. I you know it's the path that I chose to do. It's what I studied. Um, it's what I've always I've always worked in the arts. I've never worked in uh, you know anywhere else. I've always worked uh, you know within the art community, and I think that's 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 been my life. So for me, uh, it's only enhanced my life. Um, it hasn't made me rich, but but it's it's made me satisfied with what I do. Uh, happy with my job, happy with, a, with the career that I've chosen, and I think that's a very important point. I think many people choose a career and they're not happy in it. I am happy, very happy in my career. Um, art for the future, I see it becoming, changing in the sense that becoming definitely more uh, a political, or the trend is at least that there, there are definitely art making a statement. Um, I think that art should still maintain a beauty, or art should be, I love when art has like, it's bifold, but you'll look at something, you'll be attracted to it, or you'll be repulsed by it, you'll have an immediate feeling for it, um, but then there'll be a second aha moment where there's something substantial about it. So when you're looking at the water memory, you're looking at it, and you're talking about artificial intelligence, and you know, the, the object itself is very interesting, but the, the thought process behind it is equally as interesting, so you have a second aha moment. Um, I think that art is going to have to always have that now. I think we can't go back to just having pretty pictures. Um, like many uh, people, you know, years ago, you know, whether it's impressions, paintings, or whatever, which were, of course, very controversial for their time. But again, um, it, it can no longer just be um, uh, for the visual sense of it. I think it has to have meaning behind it. And I think that there were times where art was just for the visual sense. I don't see that happening anymore. I think 
Yes, I think now as you because you enter museums and there's this sense where they're kind of filling a gap of what was traditionally served by speaking of Eric and April's initiative, the church, or uh, that there is this kind of connection that we have to that we they will, it will nourish us on a deeper level. Um, but uh, so it's quite beautiful um, what what you do in terms of giving back to to the community and. Well, thank you. Well, no, thank you very much. So uh, thank you, Christina Masaidi-Strassfield, for sharing your insights into curation, the importance of the arts, this, this wonderful community that you have there in, in East Hampton. Uh, thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you for including me. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Ali Chow. Assignment editor is Sorella Lark. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anatolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this interview sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info for an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition Traveling to Leading Universities or published on our website, www.creativeprocess.info. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info.